and Solskjaer has won it. And you've heard that somewhere before. What a night for Manchester United. Roland. Okay, welcome to NWFC Pubcast episode. Actually, to be fair, I don't know what episode this is. We're out in Perth. Um, episode 13, thank you, Lockie. Um, now, Larry has sent me here to Perth, and the goal was to get a sit-down interview with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Paul Pogba. That has obviously failed miserably. But I'm with someone who probably doesn't need any introduction, um, Mr. Stephen Housen from Full Time Devils. Cheers, my mate. How are we? I'm all right, mate. Thanks, how are you? Enjoying, yeah, no, I'm good. Enjoying Perth. I am enjoying Perth. Today's the first day that we actually saw a bit of daylight. Daylight? And a little bit of Perth, actually. All we've yeah. seen is the Players Hotel and the inside of bars so far. How about that hotel? That is a nice hotel. That's not a bad hotel, is it? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, obviously, the game was last night. Um, we'll start with the game. What did you think? I'm sorry for those listening. This will be recorded a little bit later, but after the Perth Glory game, 2-0. Marcus Rashford and Jimmy Garner with the goals. Mm. Thoughts on the game? I was a lot bored, if I'm honest, in the first half. Um, it seemed like Perth just wanted to sit back. Didn't really make it a good game. Yeah. Pre-season friendly, you kind of want to see everyone just go for it a little bit. Don't you? you don't want to sit dealing with a low block. And, and I also didn't think our 11 was as good in the first half as it was in the second half. So it, it really took that second half for United to really start playing football. Yeah. Second half I really enjoyed. I think, I think they're winning the ball up quite high. Like you look at our back four, both first half and second half, they're really just stuck on the halfway line. So every time we did win the ball, there was those Perth Glory bodies around the ball, so it was really hard to sort of break through. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of space, and it, the, you really saw Matter and like Angel Gomez sort of excel at that, and, and Mason Greenwood as well was just creating space out of nothing, because yeah. there was no space. But yeah, I did enjoy it. It's obviously not a massive test, but shouldn't have been a massive test, so yeah. thankfully it wasn't a massive yeah. test. But I think you might be looking at a bit of a stiffer challenge on Wednesday, I think. I think it'll be good. I think that's what most people come over for, this Leeds game. And obviously Leeds are a very good team. Well, obviously had a very good season, didn't quite go up. Um, but just to touch on before we move on, the two new signers, Juan Bissaka and Daniel James. I thought Daniel James had a very good game. Mm, I thought he didn't quite have the quality in the final third of his delivery, but he was getting in some brilliant positions, yeah. stretching the defence, creating good options, making space as well for himself. Juan Bissaka, I thought, without the ball, was flawless. On the ball, you go, OK, he's not, you know, he's not the most attacking fullback in the league. There's obviously things he needs to work on, but impressive both, I'd say, overall. What do you think with Daniel James? There's a real modern theme now. Right foot is playing on the left-hand side. We've got Sanchez. Well, we don't know what's going to happen with Sanchez. We've got Tony Marshall. Rashford sometimes drifts to the left. Now we've got Daniel James, who supposedly plays on the left. Do you think he's an option on the right? Because I think he's just playing on the right. Yeah, I thought that was what he was signed for. So yeah. to see him line up on the left first was a bit... And we got enough people on the left. Everyone. Everybody's a left footer, aren't they? Or everyone's at least on the left-hand side. Yeah, I thought that was a weird one. Yeah. Uh, unless he just wants to give it Chongi a little bit more on his yeah. natural side on the right-hand sides. Yeah. I thought both of them well, it's almost, a it, delivery. It's almost the opposite with Chong being a left-foot ease, fair yeah. on the right. Maybe a bit old-school thinking, have a more natural width. But Yeah, you, you, I'd, I'd like United to score the sort of goals that I see City scoring. I'd like our forwards to have 20 tap-ins a year. Yeah. Oh, you don't get extra points for scoring outside the box. To be fair, with what Solskjaer, what it looked like, we were obviously watching the game from behind the goal. But there was no crossing. They got the ball into wide areas a lot, but also all came back through in the midfield. And a lot of the crowd was sort of frustrated. But when you actually looked in, especially in the second half where they were attacking us, it was Gomez and Matter in the middle. There's no point crossing the ball. 
So I think that is something Solskjaer is trying to... Those cutbacks that you see Raheem Sterling just get tons and tons of. Yeah. Those little side foot tappings passing into the net. That's what's going to win you games and that ultimately is what's going to drive you up the league. Is You don't see United scoring those sort of easy goals. You yeah. see every goal that we have, we have to fight and graft to get there. Yeah. And I'd love to see us scoring a more systematic goal where you go... You can look at it and go, that's a Manchester City goal, can't you? Yeah. I'd love there to be a Manchester United goal again. Well, it used to be under Fergie, you can see that old school down the wings. Yeah, and a break, across get down, bang it in, in the net. Now it's, yeah, you, you couldn't pick it, there's no... What's a United goal? No trial, I wouldn't be... Not a clue. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't pick it, to be honest, I'm thinking... Now, just some, uh, me and my co-host, who was, obviously didn't want to come to Perth, he thinks he's gone to the first game of the season, though. Um, he's obviously a big fan of Mason Greenwood and Angel Gomez, who I thought last night did extremely well. Where do you see their roles? Because almost at similar stages of their career, but obviously a different scenario for both of them. And you obviously talked a lot about them in previous seasons. Where do you see their situation at the start of the season and what, what lays ahead for them? I think Mason's probably got the opportunity to break in quicker because of the available personnel and the, the future of Romelu being up in the air I wonder if if he puts in a few good performances on the tour they might take a gamble on Mason Angel's a little bit different we saw him play on the wing against Perth he's not a winger he's not going to play on the wing I would like to see him in the role that Matt took up against Perth being central pulling the strings in that sort of area and I think he can do that if you're going to dominate possession Angel Gomez is going to look like an absolute beast where if it's going to be a tight game a 50-50 game where you need quick you need aggression Angel isn't that player so I think he's going to struggle to find his opportunities and I think a loan is probably overdue for him I think he probably needs to get a good loan at a good, somewhere that the, it's almost contractual that like this guy plays 70 minutes a week you know, for 65, 70, 70 games he's got to go and get 30 games somewhere somewhere that's going to give him a lot of minutes so he can develop in a, in a men's league somewhere do you know I think he'd be amazing? Portugal yeah. If I was United now... Did he have a Portugal yeah. background? Yeah. yeah. His, his dad played for Portugal. He's born and raised in the yeah. UK, but yeah. his dad's Portuguese. He obviously speaks the language. I think that if you was United, and if you truly do want Bruno Fernandes, I'd say to him, how about, that's what I'm going to pay for him, you can have Angel on loan for a season. Because yeah. they're going to fulfil a similar sort of creative role. And can you imagine if Angel goes and puts in even half the numbers yeah. that Bruno Fernandes has done for yeah. them? then it's going to be all right. That's what I was thinking. In terms of the success of a loan spell, now I look at Tuan Zave and his performance, and obviously he, didn't, he wasn't tested at all last night, but you look at that level of centre-back and what we've bought from the championship this season in terms of how much Daniel James cost, potentially $20 million. If we were to buy Tuan Zave from Aston Villa this year, he might cost 20 or $30 million potentially. Yeah, easily, yeah. And that's well, something you could potentially look at. So hopefully if Gomez was able to get a loan somewhere... That is a, and then if it doesn't work out United you might be able to cash in on him and yeah. use that money for someone that you do want maybe yeah. now um, just some of the other goal scorer which we talked to you off air a few times about um, Marcus Rashford there's at the time of recording this Lukaku is still at the club potentially off to Inter Milan maybe I don't know if we're going to be signing a new striker or not but the new contract Rashford has just signed to me in my opinion suggests that the club potentially see him as the main striker if you were to in your ideal scenario with United, Rashford, where do you think his best role is? A lot of people think it's out wide, it's strong. If you to get the best out of him... I don't think he's ready to play number nine on his own every game every, and be relied upon. Because realistically, you've got to be aiming for 30 goals. 
Marcus is aimed for next year is probably 20 goals. Yeah. So I think if you wanted him to be your lead striker, you're going to have to play someone alongside him that's going to pick up that slack. He's 21 years of age. He's not ready to be that line leading striker. He's ready to develop into that line leading striker right now, and he's in a really good spot to do that. I would like to see us go with someone like a Ben Yedder. I'd like to see us maybe try the diamonds. Because I think you've got options. Sanchez, you can play down the middle. Sanchez and Rashford down the middle as a pairing might work. Sanchez and Marshall might work. Marshall and Rashford might work. Uh, Mason and Rashford might work. So you've got options if you went with a, a two-striker system. You could probably accommodate what we've got, but also give opposition defences some issues to think about because so many people play with one striker up front. Yeah. Defenders now only have to deal with two. They're panicking a little bit. I think it's very offensive to go with two strikers and I don't think we've got one I don't think Marshall or Marcus have made that position their own yet yeah. so we're not trying both well what Solskjaer and I thought some of our best, not our best performances but some good performances last year I remember the Chelsea game came with those two strikers and I think it was probably Matter or Lingard in behind at a turn and Matter last night I thought was very good um, do you see in terms of our transfer targets a lot obviously hinges on Paul Pogba staying if he comes and goes you don't know and I think that will completely shift the focus if he does leave but the midfield situation this Bruno Fernandes link personally I don't see too much you know a lot of talk so far but in terms of that midfield position who do you think comes in to complement Paul Pogba because this whole thing unlocking Pogba and this and that I'd love it in Didi or in Idrissa Gay someone that I can see being pure energy well one player I, he hasn't been linked with anyone but I thought would get a strong link this is Decoro from Watford yeah, he's, he's a player that oh, I thought he's but he's not been linked with anyone Yeah, I, maybe Watford have just gone eh, we're not selling him so yeah. there may have been early inquiries and those took him up but I agree yeah. I think those three players would be the archetype of the sort of player I would want to I don't think Matt just got very long left in him maybe the club thing McTominay can do that I have my doubts on his ability with the ball off the ball I think he's very very good defensively yeah. I think he takes up good positions and he seems to have the right sort of mentality but I don't know if he's got the right quality yeah. and those three that we just mentioned would probably be a big upgrade on him yeah. I think if you sold Paul Pogba you'll probably see a complete overhaul of the midfield like a two three new signings yeah. see that's it a lot of people talk about get rid of Pogba if he doesn't want to be here let him go and I you won't find a bigger fan of Pogba than myself but I completely agree with that sentiment if he doesn't want to be here feel free to go but if you're replacing him with, no offence to someone like Sean Longstaff, I don't care if the player doesn't want to be here. If he's scoring goals and contributing on the pitch. Yeah, Longstaff probably got posters of Pogba on his <laughs> I, mean, I, th- I can kind of see why I think United want him. 25 million, it's not a lot of money. Okay, maybe we take that risk. 50 million? I don't yeah. think 50, he's not a 50 million pound player. You know, people go, oh, well, Wambasaka was. Yeah, Wambasaka was, because Wambasaka is. Yeah. But Sean Longstaff, there's a lot of potential there. Now, is that potential higher than Jimmy Garner? Jimmy Garner. Mm, maybe. Is it higher than Angel Gomez? No. Is it higher than, you know, even a Dylan Levitt? I think Dylan Levitt's a brilliant footballer that I'd love to see what he can do in the men's league. Yeah. So, for 50 million, I'd say leave it. Let's make sure we spend that money that we're holding back on a defender to get the right defender that we want and we'll see what we've got in midfield in the academy yeah. if, we, if it's a, a case of penny pinching yeah. I think I'll go in well we just spoke about then about Rashford going back into midfield 
Now, I think personally the biggest issue in our team at the moment is centre-half. Yep. Do you think Harry Maguire is the number one target? Rightly so or not? Because there's a lot of talk with Delit at the start of the window. That's what I went away. Was, I don't think he was the number one on any list. But I think he was on a list. Yeah. Um, and for good reason. I think he's a good centre-half. There is a Phil Jones vibe about him, isn't there? Yeah, no, so, I agree. Clanger in him. But he's, he's good in both boxes, which I think is a, a big asset. He's the best header of the ball in the Premier League in terms of the numbers he can put up. And I think there is a little bit of leadership in him. He's a ball playing centre half, he'll step into midfield with the ball. He massively upgrades our defence. Massively upgrades our defence. I think it was a case, Soder and Rod, a case with Juan Bissaka and Ashley Young. We've got similar feelings about Ashley Young, but, but it was a case, for, in my opinion, of just getting someone at right back. Yes. And now, yeah, any person. Obviously not any player, but any player at centre-back upgrades our centre-back yeah. position. You improve a team by eliminating your weakest links. You don't improve a team by actually stretching the top end of a team. So, like, you could sign Messi. I mean, you couldn't, but if you sign Messi, it's not going to make a difference because your team still can't attack because you don't have the balls to attack. You could sign any player that you want, but they're not going to make a difference unless they're the the tools of that team yeah. need to for me our biggest issue is right back yeah. sorted next biggest issue is centre half sorted then I could probably see an argument for a midfielder potentially a right winger and a, and a forward as well but the next position has to be a centre half well that's why the, the way I read the game and people read the game differently our forwards and our midfielders get so much criticism in terms of the speed of play they don't move the ball quick enough in my opinion, the way I see it, though, that stems from centre-half in terms of Pogba can't get... The, by the time he's getting the ball, he has the players on him because Chris Smalling's taken two, three, four touches to get the ball to him. And I feel a lot of the midfielders, the wide players, the attackers get a sort of unfair criticism because I saw one game last year where Chris Smalling... It was a nice, easy pass into Pogba, but it came into his chest. So Paul Pogba was having to control the ball on his chest. It was a five-metre pass. And Pogba lost the ball and he's sort of his Langley style and their hands up and it was oh Pogba lost the ball. Well no, it's the pass before that lost Correct, the ball. Yeah. That's, and that's the issue yeah. I think with, with the way a lot of people watch and interpret the game is that they don't see the, the full team aspects of it. If United move the ball from back to front faster, we're gonna be more effective. People are looking at um, you know, our strikers aren't good enough. Our strikers aren't having anywhere near as many shots. Cristiano Ronaldo had more shots than Marshall Lacan and Rashford uh, combined combined crazy. and he scored 21 goals uh, so our strikers are more clinical than Cristiano Ronaldo yeah. oh yeah, yeah you'd yeah, you see no player who wastes more or not I wouldn't say wastes more chances but misses more chances than Ronaldo every second shot ends up in Rosette uh, Ronaldo and Rashford have got the exact same shot to goal conversion 8.4 shots per goal yeah, that's crazy there's a couple of people who have had insane shots to goals last season one of them was Mane yeah. one of them was Tony Marshall 3.9 shots per crazy. goal which is incredibly clinical yeah. but we're not getting enough shots to Tony Marshall for him to continue yeah. and Lukaku's wasn't terrible either Lukaku was around about what Aguero's is yeah. so we've got I mean Harry Kane's is like up near what Rashford's is yeah. People really hammer our forwards, but they're not being given the service to create more chances. Every other team creates more chances. We just simply don't create. Yeah. I think that's the thing. When you look back at Ferguson, whatever the result, whatever the performance level, there's always something happening in the, in the attacking third of the pitch. We're now maybe not as bad as under Van Hal, but whatever was happening in the game, I think we might only get two chances in this game. Yeah. Um, and then if you don't keep a clean sheet, then yeah. you've lost all your draw. Yeah. Now, away from the football a little bit. Now, we've got, obviously, in my opinion, I'm guessing your opinion, the best United YouTube channel out there. 
I just wanted to pick your brain. Me and Larry, the co-host, has discussed this a few times. The, obviously, we talked earlier about the industry changing completely in the last couple of years. Where has your balance been from giving fans an opinion, a platform for their opinion, but also such a big platform now comes with responsibility in terms of supporting the players. You see a lot Rashford, Lingard, the abuse they get online now. Pogba's going through it. Ash, Ashley Young gets a lot of it. Um, and as a big platform, you sort of, I w- wouldn't say you provide that platform, but people obviously tweeting stuff. YouTube, obviously YouTube comments are brutal. But where do you stand on, on when you're uploading a video, uploading content, finding that balance of trying not to go over the top? Because everyone gets emotional when they come out, outside of the ground. They do, yeah. I think that's one of my main my main issues with fan cams as a, an entity is that they are inherently overreactionary. Um, I often want to see something again before I'll talk about it on a fan cam. Um, I think there has to be some level of responsibility, but I also think that there's also people are now fully aware of their own actions and stuff when they're coming up to the fan cams. They're knowing where this is going. They're they know you can what get clipped up like, like yourself. Do. Yeah, I get clipped up to death, mate. Yeah, <laughs> it is what it is. Uh, it's, it's very rarely clipped up in context, <laughs> even, which is mad. Um, I think there should be a responsibility to be wary of what you're saying. I, I think some people don't give a shit. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think it's just an individual. Um, you know, I've always said I'm not responsible for a fan base. People might disagree with that and say, "Well, you're seen as representing the fan base." I, I talk for me, yeah. me alone, and I, I'm just a, I'm just a bloke. Yeah. And I just, I watch the match. I was asked to give my opinion. I give my opinion, yeah. and that's it. And somehow it's developed into this, you know, this half a million people following Full Time Devils. There's hundred thousand following my personal account. How does that feel here, like arriving here on the other side of the world? And people come up to you on a first name basis. And it's mad. I mean, it's it's a hundred percent positive. Yeah. You know, there's no one come up and give us any grief about it. Oh, well, t- uh, to a Twitter in real life, two different things. Of course, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, we've got loads on Twitter, but it, uh, it's a hundred percent positive, and it's nice. You can't say it's not nice. It's yeah. great. Um, and it's good to see that so many people enjoy it over it because, by the sounds of it, the the local media and. Yeah. and the national media just doesn't provide for what United fans need so maybe it's made my understanding of what we do deeper maybe yeah um, now just one thing one last topic before we wrap up it's obviously another big online issue at the moment the Glazers out hashtag everyone is talking about now we run the official supporters club here in New South Wales and we're approached by I wouldn't say big accounts but loud accounts on Twitter saying you have to get involved in hashtag Glazers out you have to boycott the games in Perth you can't go you're not real fans if you you go into the game sort of thing, which is unbelievable when you think about it. Um, just where do you stand on in terms of, in my opinion, because we were approached last night and a few people were waving green and gold scarves with the official merchandise <laughs> and buying match tickets and are official members of the club. And we obviously support any action against the Glazers. We understand how bad of a job, or from a club perspective, how bad they are for the club. But it's just making complete hypocrites. And football makes hypocrites of everyone. Uh, that's part of it. It's something that we publicly can't do as a supporters club. But where do you see, like, obviously on the ground at Old Trafford, where do you stand on it? Um, it's a multifaceted, complex issue, isn't it? I mean, I was on the protest marches in 2005 with the North for Sale, and then we got sold. Yeah. So you go, okay. And then there was flash mobbing, and there was all sorts of things that followed that initial burst of activity in, in around 2005, 2006. And it was intense. When I think about it, you go, well, it didn't work. And then I go, 
But actually, none of them sponsors the club anymore. The sponsors that were hit for flash mobs. Probably a coincidence. I don't think any of the decision making was made on the back of any of the actions of supporters. But you know, there was Nike flash mobbing, there was Labrooks flash mobbing, yeah. and you go, well, none of them sponsored the club anymore. That's weird. But maybe their natural sponsorship cycle was going to have come to an end anyway. Uh, certainly, the ones with Nike and Labrooks. We go through so many bookmaker sponsors. I'm sure that's just been the case. But my experience of those is that they was very intense and very well supported and, and quite well organised, and they did nothing. Yeah. And this is when the club was worth around five, six hundred million. Then in 2010 it happened again, and there was the talk of this Red Knights consortium um, that was going to buy the club. And there was the massive green and gold protest inside the ground. There was banners, there was signs printed, there was obviously the, the enormous um, banner that came off the end of the strip end. David Beckham wearing a green and gold scarf after the AC Milan game, and it did nothing. I don't think they give a shit. I honestly, I don't even know if they get told about the yeah. protests. Um, I think it, it's so far beyond what they give a shit about that I just don't think it makes any impact on them whatsoever. I'd support any action to replace the Glazers, but sometimes it can be out of the frying pan into the fire. They have taken obscene amounts of money. They are restricting, in my view, the spending capacity of the club. They are not looking after Old Trafford. They are not investing into the training ground. They are not investing into the areas of the football club that we see as being important in likes of the academy and things like that. But who's got four billion that they can just come and save us? They're not gonna sell it back to the fans, which would be everybody's dream that we are a fan-owned football club again. And I will support any action that's got a proper plan where you can go, what, what is the goal of this? What are we going to achieve and how are we going to achieve it? Everything needs a plan, otherwise you're just pissing in the wind. And the Glazer out hashtag has trended on Twitter three, four times. But what's that resulted in? It's resulted in nothing. I think that's the thing we just touched on in terms of it being an online movement and predominantly on Twitter. A lot of those people and the maturity of those people, I think the frustration stems from the wrong place. It stems from being six, and at the time there was no real links with the high-profile players which they want. So it, there's no real plan. It's just a frustration. It's just an outburst of anger. There's no really thought about it on what can happen, what could potentially happen. And I think that's what just makes. If there was a plan, and the plan was look, we can raise this money and buy X percentage of the club where we get a say in X. Or there's this guy wants to buy the club. He's got the money, he's ready to do it. Like Jim Ratcliffe is a United fan that's been linked with Chelsea. I think he's just part of a Spanish club. If he was saying, I'm going to buy this football club, you guys need to help me put pressure on the owners to sell, sweet, I'm there at the front with a banner. But until you've got that sort of plan in place, and even then you're going to be like, hang about, what are you going to do when you get in charge of the football club? Are you going to rebuild Old Trafford? It's always, half, it's always half the debate, it's like the manager debate. It was Mourinho out, okay, that's fine, I agree with that. Well, is it David Moyes to replace him? It's always half the debate. Is the Glazers going and then the Saudis come in and that's a whole other debate. Yeah. Right. It's all, again, we all agree, get the Glazers out, but you don't know, is there a new family that buys it's the club? It's almost like a tantrum, isn't it? Like, get out. Yeah. Well, now what? All right, you're out. What do we do now? Yeah. Oh, shit, I didn't think of that bit. Yeah, I think completely. I would absolutely support any planned action that I thought was going to have a positive impact on this football club. I don't think a hashtag has a positive impact on a football club. Yeah. And I don't think it, it's annoying more than anything. Every, every comment I'll put out there, 
there'll be 10 replies saying plays well. You're not adding to a conversation, you're just becoming annoying, it's becoming spam. Get a plan together and I will support any plan. But when there's no plan, it's just noise. Yeah. And noise does no one any good. Oh, hard to disagree. Now we'll try and finish, wrap up on a bit of a positive. Now, the chance after last night, after the second goal, we're, we're going to win the league. So, <laughs> Not where I was saying, <laughs> No, in front of us, we were in case you were there. About, um, about, tw- yeah, yeah, about 10, 20 rows in Drew Hard after the James Garner goal. Um, the cracker of a goal, man. Very good goal. Where do you think the season goes in terms of success? We always look at, oh, our trophies of success. But the way I look yeah. at it is you can get to an FA Cup final, a Europa League final, a League Cup final, potentially win three trophies, but you could lose every final in the last minute and then you don't win anything. So yep. it's fine margins. But that's how football's measured is, yeah. in, is in the trophies and not, you know, I don't think Spurs are going to call last season yeah. a major success. Maybe they, they might. They might call it progress. Maybe they will. Yeah. It's, it's Spurs in it, so they might. Yeah. I would definitely say I want to see progression. What is success? Is it black and white or is it shades of grey? Because yeah. if we if we can come forth and uh, what's the circumstances of us coming forth? Yeah. Was we first up until the 30th game and then came forth? Not success. Yeah. If we you know, struggled because of injuries and this, that and the other and we found our feet and we made a last gas charge at it and we got there on the last day and we played some great football and uncovered some more gems in the academy, is that success? Yeah, it might be. So I, I think you can only look backwards rather than preempt what success is going to be. But I would like to see, I would like to see United go with a style of play, get into the top four, have a decent cup run, and I'll probably be happy with it. Now, just one last question, which I know Larry will be keen to get your opinion of. If you had to pick one player who's going to have a more productive season, Mason Greenwood or Axel Tuanzebi? You have to have a pick. We just heard Axel's going out on loan, unfortunately. Oh, he's a bit of breaking news. Yeah, uh, it's probably broke by the time this gets over. Yeah, possibly. Um, I think Mason. Yeah. I think Mason's going to shock people. He's so calm. It's like I think somebody's getting tested. He's um, he's absolute dead eye. And I think I think he's he was unlucky not to score against Cardiff. Right? He was unlucky yeah, not to score good. against uh, Perth. There's no way he's not scoring on this tour. Yeah. And I think when it comes, it's going to be like a bus. I think it's going to be a couple that come with him. So I would say Mason, he's going to force his way into contention. The club's going to be too tight to replace Lukaku. And he's going to be forced into having 15 games a season and he's going to shock people. All right, I think we'll try and leave it there. Now, from myself and Larry, who's not here, but also all the supporters clubs, especially the supporters club in New South Wales, Australia. We can't, cannot thank you guys enough, yourself and Adam here as well. We cannot thank you enough for what you do on a match day, what you do during the week. As you said, our TV coverage is embarrassing <laughs> here. So it gives, us, it gives us something to watch. Uh, we really hope you enjoy your time in Australia. Now, Perth, people could argue if it's part of Australia. I personally find it backwards here. <laughs> I, I, I'm not coming back unless Man United have come back. So, but we do hope you enjoy it, and um, we cannot thank you enough for what you boys do. Well, cheers, thanks for having us. No, thanks for having us. Uh, me and Larry will be back recording at the pub sometime, but he is off to watch Chelsea and Wolves in a few weeks. So, bastard. All right, thank you for listening, guys, and cheers. Bye. Oh, Man United versus Chelsea. Man United versus... And Solskjaer has won it! And you've...